gentlemen, boys and girls, Trinoids, you are listening live here to another episode of Brandon's World here on this Sunday, June 26, 2022. It is a beautiful Sunday out here in Cleveland, Ohio, and I am glad that you to join me once again, as always, the host of the Brandon's World podcast here, Brandon Lewis. Today, we got a lot of stuff to break down, including Kyrie Irving's future in Brooklyn, the great play of my Cleveland Guardians, and the WWE Money in the Bank premium live event. As always, make sure to follow me on Twitter at BrandonWoods underscore seven. Also, follow me at Row underscore B World. Make sure you check out the Brands World podcast wherever you listen, whether that's on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music wherever you can get your podcast with also the video version on YouTube, of course, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But without further ado, let's get into it today. We're going to kick off the podcast by talking about the man behind me here on YouTube, if you're listening to my virtual background, Kyrie Irving, because it is being reported that Kyrie Irving could potentially leave the Brooklyn Nets. Now, to me, this is a lot bigger of a story than the NBA draft. Of course, the NBA draft did take place this past Thursday night. And the NBA draft is not as hype as the NFL draft. I don't really feel like it matters as much you know, in terms of players. Yes, there are good players. Javari Smith, I think, is going to be a really good pro. Jay Nivey, I think, is going to be a really good pro. Shed Holmgren has a chance to be a really good pro. Not just sure about Pablo Manchero myself. I think he's going to be good. I don't know about necessarily franchise changing for Orlando. But the NBA draft just filled, you know, a lot of good players, in my opinion. There was a lot of value. There's not a whole lot of ton of depth. The NBA isn't really about drafting as much as the NFL. The NBA is more about star power. So that's why, you know, I'm not really going to cover the NBA draft today. Just wanted to give you a few thoughts on kind of the top picks. As the main story here, in my opinion, right now in the NBA, is Kyrie Irving's potential decision to leave Brooklyn. Now, we all saw it as a shock when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and DeAndre Jordan, who, if you remember at the time, decided to go to Brooklyn in the summer of 2019. They were heavily rumored to go to the New York Knicks to put the Knicks back on the map. And instead, Kyrie, KD, and DeAndre Jordan all went to Brooklyn. And ever since then, it's been Kevin Durant hurt for a year. Kyrie Irving hurt. Then they got James Harden. Kyrie Irving hurt. James Harden hurt. Now it's the Kyrie Irving vaccination issue, even after they got Ben Simmons, after James Arden kind of fell through. You know, I think we all kind of thought that when KD went to Brooklyn, it was kind of Kevin Durant's validation that he could win a championship without riding the coattails of Steph Curry, Quinn Thompson, and Draymond Green out there in Golden State. And you could clearly see in those two finals against the Cavs, Kevin Durant was the best player on the court for Golden State, and arguably next to LeBron James, the best player on the court, period. But ever since he's got to Brooklyn, as I just detailed, there's been a lot of different drama issues, and most of that has to do with Kyrie Irving. Listen, we saw Kyrie when he first came into the league as a young cow with the Cleveland Gellers, a rebuilding team, even without LeBron James, play really good basketball. And even after the Cavs got LeBron, he kind of embraced being LeBron's sidekick and really playing great complimentary basketball off of LeBron James. 
I think Dwayne Wade and Kyrie Irving, you could certainly make an argument. Anthony Davis, though not necessarily the last couple of years, just a year in the bubble when they won the championship. But I think certainly, you know, Dwayne Wade and Kyrie Irving are LeBron James' best teammates ever. And you can certainly make an argument Kyrie over D. Wade just because of his value of the 2016 Cavs championship team. But ever since the Cavs won that championship, Kyrie Irving has been a different guy. He's been a solo guy. He did not get along with the Cavs at the end of his uh, run in Cleveland. He did not get along with Boston at the end of his run in Boston. You know, Boston took the 2018 Cavs to the Eastern Conference Finals Game 7 without Kyrie Irving even playing in the postseason due to another injury. So, we all know about Kyrie's injury past, right? He's had knee issues ever since he was at college at Duke University. We know how special of a point guard he is. The question with Kyrie has always been, is he the right fit? And Kyrie, a lot like Russell Westbrook, beats to his own drum. And I know Kyrie, I don't think he wants to leave Brooklyn. I really think him and Kevin Durant are close. I don't think he necessarily wants to leave Brooklyn. I think he's happy in Brooklyn. However, I think he does want a max contract. And I think upstairs, Kevin Durant may be privately telling Kyrie, yeah, bro, I love you. But upstairs in the front office, Kevin Durant just wants to win. People are still essentially making fun out of him for leaving Brooklyn and, or excuse me, for leaving Golden State and going to Brooklyn. It has not worked. They haven't even made a conference finals together in three years. The longest they've gone was last year, game seven against the Bucks in the second round. Yes, it took them overtime, but by the way, once again, Kyrie Irving did not play in that game. James Harden did not play in that game, or he did, but was mostly limited due to an, an injury. So I think Evan's just saying, I need good players. I need help. And I don't think Kevin Durant wants to leave Brooklyn. I think Kevin wants to validate his decision to leave Golden State and bring a championship to another organization. And I think Kevin Durant is realizing he's not going to be able to do it with Kyrie Irving on his roster. But like I said, the problem is Kyrie Irving, I don't think necessarily wants to leave Brooklyn. Of course, there is that rumor out there about Kyrie potentially going to Dallas or Miami or the two LA teams or Philly or even to the Knicks. I don't think that's going to happen. I think if Kyrie does leave Brooklyn, the most likely scenario would be to go to the Lakers. Though I don't think the Nets would be willing to do a Russell Westbrook, Evan Durant, or excuse me, a Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving swap because we saw what Russell Westbrook was able to do with Kevin Durant, and that is make one NBA Finals in the nine years that they were together. It's the reason why KD left Oklahoma City to go to Golden State in the first place, because he could not play with Russell Westbrook. As I call him, and as I've said here multiple times, Russell Westbrook is not a good fit for the Lakers. The Lakers are an irrelevant brand in the NBA, and he's just not a good player. I don't see Russell Westbrook as a Hall of Famer. I see him as a high-energy guy, a guy that can score the ball, get rebounds, get assists, but it just does not equate to winning. I see the same thing with Kyrie Irving, though you could argue Westbrook is more valuable than Kyrie because of his durability. Westbrook will play. You pretty much know what you're going to get from him every night. You're going to get about 5 of 20 from the field. You're going to get about 20 to 25 points, about 10 rebounds, about 10 assists. But at least you know what you're going to get. From Kyrie, you know when he does play, he can drop 40, he can drop 50, he can occasionally even drop 60 on any given night. He's that talented of a basketball player offensively. You just know he's going to be a little weird in the locker room, and he's not really a team guy. That 2016 championship, 
It doesn't seem like the drive is there anymore. It kind of feels a little Anthony Davis to me. Like, that's good. I'm good. I'm out. I think in order to change that, he needs to go somewhere like a Los Angeles. Team back up with LeBron James. Team back up, you know, with LeBron and Anthony Davis. You know, it'd be a better LeBron Kyrie Kevin. You basically replace Kevin Love with an Anthony Davis, who is a better shooter than Kevin Love. Kyrie would be the second option on that team as AD is often injury prone and continues to decline a little bit in my estimation. So if Kyrie Irving wants to change his image, that's where he should go. I don't think he is going to go though. I think he is going to stay in Brooklyn and just like the Lakers, I believe the Nets are now an irrelevant franchise in the NBA and they're not true championship contenders. We all got fooled by them, in my opinion, last year in the first round of the postseason. But you look at the Eastern Conference now. Philadelphia, whether or not what they do with James Harden, we'll see. But when you have Joel Embiid, who is the best center in basketball, in my opinion, and is definitely over Nikola Jokic, I thought he should have been the MVP of this season. When you have him, when you have Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks, when you have the up-and-coming Cleveland Cavaliers, when you have the Boston Celtics, those are teams to me that are all better than the Brooklyn Nets. And I don't think the Nets are anywhere close to championships. It's like I don't think the Lakers are, are anywhere close to championship. Bottom line is I do think that Kyrie Irving stays. If he does not, I do believe that he will go to Los Angeles, though I don't see that as likely because in order for him to go to L.A., I think he would have to get rid of Russell Westbrook. I don't think the Clippers, as much as Kyrie and Tyron Lue and Kawhi Leonard, that's just, I mean, it's a good thought in theory, but I don't know if those two quiet personalities would work together on the court, and I don't think the other three options are viable. So I think for Kyrie, it's either Brooklyn or the Lakers. I predict he stays in Brooklyn. Oh, folks, it is time. You hear that baseball music in the background if you are listening to our audio version of the podcast. It is time to talk some Guardians baseball because I don't talk a lot of baseball here on the Brands World Podcast. I've said multiple times. I think baseball needs to do a better job of marketing. I think the new rules they're trying to implement, especially banning the shift in 2023, I think it's a bad idea. I think baseball season is too long. I think there's a lot of things wrong with baseball. I find the baseball regular season difficult to talk about. But I do want to spend a little bit of time today talking about the youngest team, not only in Major League Baseball, but in AAA as well. That being my hometown Cleveland Guardians playing phenomenal baseball and it goes to show there was a lot of concern in the city of Cleveland, Ohio once they traded away from the great shortstop Francisco Lindor to the New York Mets last offseason. Kind of felt like the window has closed. There was concern that Jose Ramirez would not re-sign with the team. But Jose took a team-friendly deal. This team's got great pitchers. It took them a little bit more time to get in a rhythm this year due to the non-spiky tag, which I always thought should return along with steroids. I think baseball is just a cheating sport. I just think we kind of have to live with it nowadays in 2022. You know, there there was a lot of things going on. Could Zach Kwezak get traded? Aaron Savali, Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantrill. These guys in the starting rotation, after struggling, again, due to the lockout, not getting the normal spring training, they have come around, and Chris Valenka, the team's new inning coach, has given the young kids a chance to put the ball in play. This Guardians team is a very old-school baseball team. They do not hit a lot of home runs. 
But the one thing they do do is they put the ball in play. They don't strike out a lot. Their goal is to make the starting pitcher work. Get to the bullpen, get to late in games. They're very good at picking their spot late in games. That's why they've had so many amazing comebacks this year. And they believe that they can go out there and win every single time they're out there. We have an Hall of Fame manager, the Bill Belichick of baseball, the best manager of all time, in Terry Francona, back to his old self after a few years of health issues, and he's managing the L out of this team. You take a look at the young kid, Stephen Kwan, the rookie in left field, one rookie of the month in April. He is going to be the mainstay in left, I believe, for a long time coming. You got Miles Straw in center field, who's a part of a package last offseason for uh, Phil Maton coming over from the Houston Astros. He provides great speed, whether he's at the top, which he struggled a little bit. They moved him down to the bottom of the lineup. So he provides great speed and he can get on base. Great range for a center fielder. Right field has mostly been Oscar Gonzalez, a nice young kid. We call him SpongeBob around here, making really good progress. Of course, the best third baseman in all of baseball at the hot corner. Amid Rosario, who we got in the Francisco Windor deal from the New York Mets, has been a phenomenal shortstop the last two years for this ball club. Of course, Andreas Jimenez, one of the best left-handed hitters in all of baseball right now, can also play short. He's played a lot, though, at second base with Amid Rosario kind of taking over that shortstop role. Of course, Rosario has been moved to the outfield a little bit, left field here and there. But in my opinion, his best natural position is shortstop with the Menace at second base. Certainly at first base, now with Bobby Bradley back in AAA. He wasn't making it because he's a true power hitter, right? He strikes out a lot. But they've used Owen Miller at first base. They've used Josh Naylor, who came back from that horrific injury at first base. These are all young kids all over the field with Austin Edges, one of, if not the best defensive catcher in baseball catching almost every night with Luke Melee reserving him if he needs a break. But I do think, again, you got a great starting pitching staff. You got a phenomenal closer in Emmanuel Quase. Now, to get to Quase has been a little bit of a challenge, especially over the last couple nights. Tito has been using Brian Shaw and, and Anthony Ghost. And, you know, Nick Sandlin just got sent down. So getting to Shaw has been, or excuse me, getting to Quase has been a little bit of an issue. James Karinczak is supposed to be back soon. We should see. Hopefully he will help out in the back end of the bullpen. They've been good, but I think they could be a little bit better. Right now, I feel like that's the team's biggest weakness. Because when you have Shane Bieber, Zach Puizak, Aaron Savali now just coming back, along with Tristan McKenzie and Cal Quantrill, that is a dynamite starting five. Eli Morgan then has moved to the pen this year. He's been arguably their second best bullpen pitcher outside of Quasi, the closer. So they got a great closer, great starting pitching. They're putting the ball in play. They're last in the league in strikeouts. Means they put the ball in play. They score runs. They run the bases. They do the little things. They're a really fun team to watch. And if the big man in the middle, the designated hitter, Franmil Reyes, can get going after coming back from his injury, it's going to make the lineup even more tough. We just finished a three-game series with the Minnesota Twins where we came back two nights in a row, winning the first game 6-5, to five, the second game 11-10, losing the third game 1-0, though we certainly could have taken all three games in that series. 
Tough loss last night against the Boston Red Sox, but Shane Bieber's on the mound tonight as I'm recording. It is going to be bobblehead night. We'll see if they can bounce back and hopefully even the series and get ready to take this series as you're listening today on a Sunday. But of course, I'm recording on a Saturday. That would be tomorrow. And this team, man, they got the Twins again and they got the Yankees again as we end into July. It is going to be a hell of a ride here over the summer with, with our Cleveland Guardians. I just want to say how phenomenally young this team is doing and how impressive they are with, once again, being the youngest team in the majors, but also the youngest team if you count AAA as well. It's a credit to Jerry Francona, Chris Valenka, the inning coach, Carl Willis, the pitching coach, everybody on the staff, bench coach tomorrow, Hale. You name it, the players, everybody, this is a fun team to watch. And it feels like baseball this summer is going to be popping over at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario at Progressive Field. And then to end today's show, let's talk about the premium live event that's going to occur next Saturday night from the MGM Grand Arena, the Interconvine, the MGM Grand Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, the money in the bank premium live event streaming live only on peacock and let's kick things off with the woman's money in the bank water match at the time of this recording six of the seven women have been filled from the friday night smackdown side you got the young men cover Rachel rodriguez shotzi and lacey evans who just returned after a year off after having a baby very young over there on the SmackDown side. Not a ton of experience in the WWE main roster ring. The longest being Lacey Evans, who came up in 2019. But again, she has not been in the ring for a long time. Only had a couple matches since her return this past spring. They've done a great job with those promos of bringing her back. On the Monday Night Raw side, you got the veteran Asuka. You got Liv Morgan trying to win her first Money in the Bank, as well as a former Money in the Bank winner, Alexa Bliss, who has since dropped her down Lily since returning, and she looks like the old Alexa Bliss, and she's been a great competitor. Now, if I had to guess, prior to Money in the Bank, whether it's this coming Monday on Raw, when the potential GO 16-time world champion John Cena returns, if I had to guess, I would say Becky Lynch somehow finds a way to get into this MITB women's match and win the match. I think they are setting up for Becky Lynch to have a potential cash in on Bianca Belair, whether that be at Money in the Bank or whether it be at SummerSlam, which was, of course, the same event that Becky Lynch beat Bianca Belair last year in 26 seconds for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Could she and Bianca Belair's home on a Nashville, Tennessee, Neon Stadium, the home of the Tennessee Titans, at SummerSlam cash in on her after Bianca Belair potentially defends the Raw Women's Championship against Rio Ripley? Because we all know she was out on Money in the Bank. Bianca Belair is going to defend the Raw Women's Championship against Carmella now. After Carmella won a fatal five-way match a couple weeks ago on Monday Night Raw, which was a great and a phenomenal contest. But I do believe that Becky Lynch should be the favorite, even though she's not in the match right now, to win the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. And I do hope that the Women's Money in the Bank winner does hold onto the briefcase more than one day. Because since Carmella won the Money in the Bank briefcase in 2018, she's the only woman to hold onto the Women's Money in the Bank briefcase more than 24 hours. 
Courts of West cashed in the same night, 2018. 2019, Bailey cashed in the same night. 2020, Oscar cashed in the next night. 2021, Dickie ASA cashed in the next night. Let's see the Women's Money in the Bank water match gets a little bit more run. I think this may have a chance to kick off the show. If I had to guess again, I think Becky Lynch is going to enter herself and win the match. My second guess would go out to Alexa Bliss or Liv Morgan. I do think the winner is going to come from the Raw side of things because I think Raw is a more interesting picture right now than SmackDown, at least for the Women's Championship. Speaking of the Women's Championship, Ronda Rousey, the SmackDown Women's Champion, will defend her championship against Natalya. We know these women go way back. We know they are good friends. But now all of a sudden, Natalya is making fun of Ronda Rousey having a baby. And Natalya thinks their sharpshooter is better than Ronda Rousey's armbar. I do think Natalya and Ronda Rousey have great chemistry. We've seen them, as I mentioned, work in the ring before. I think this is going to be a really fun match. I think it's a good opportunity for Natalya to showcase herself on a big stage like Money in the Bank, though I do think Ronda Rousey will retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. Again, speaking of championships here, the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair, I already mentioned, will defend against Carmella. Carmella has been like the thorn in Bianca Belair's side over the last year, whether they've both been on SmackDown or whether they've both been on Raw. Carmella always seems to find a way, again, whether it's with Becky Lynch, Liv Morgan, Alexa Bliss, Asuka in that fatal five-way match. Whether it's a steal and opportunity like that after Rhea Ripley, unfortunately it sounded like suffered a concussion and she's out of money in the bank. Whether it's taking advantage and trying to steal Sasha Banks' spot at last year's SummerSlam, whether it's at Rolling Loud, whatever the case may be. Bianca Belair and Carmella always seem to mix it up. I do think it's going to be a really fun match. I think they have great chemistry. I do think the EST walks away the Raw Women's Championship. I think they will set up Bianca versus Rhea Ripley at SummerSlam. If that does not happen, I can very well see a WrestleMania 38 rematch between Belair and Becky Lynch. Whether or not Becky Lynch is the briefcase or not, we will see about that. Now, Montez Ford, or excuse me, Bianca Belair's husband, Montez Ford, teams with Andrew Dawkins, the Street Profits. Take on the Bloodline, the Usos. We know every time these two get together, it's one hell of a banger of a match. This time it is for the Undisputed. WWE Tag Team Championships of the World. Again, fun match, but I do think overall the Usos will retain the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. I am a little bit worried as to what happens with the Usos after they get done with the Street Profits. We know Riddle is kind of moving on to a singles program now that Randy Orton is on him. Randy Orton, you were on one of the best runs of your career, bro. Good luck with your back surgery. We cannot wait to see you back on Monday Night Raw, teaming with RK Bro, taking out those Usos. But now that RK Bro is out of the picture, Alpha Academy is a heel tag team. The Viking Raiders are now a heel tag team. You know, we've seen the New Day and the Usos a million times. We've even seen the Usos and the Street Profits a lot. There's not really a lot of tag teams out there for the Usos to face anymore. So could we see a surprise and see the Street Profits win the tag team championships? I would love to see it. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's going to happen. I actually think if I were to bet money on it, the more likely thing that would happen would be Montez Ford turning into a single star on Angelo Dawkins. It kind of feels like the Street Profits 
have done everything that they could as a tag team. I'm not saying break them up, but I think the time could be soon because it just feels that they've done everything together as a tag team they could. And I don't think they're going to win the tag team championships here. Another title match coming up, the United States Championship between Austin Theory, who will meet John Cena in the ring this coming Monday on Raw, I believe, to set up their SummerSlam feud. Taking on Bobby Lashley. Now, the question here, I already mentioned, I think Theory is going to face Cena at SummerSlam. Will it be for the first championship that John Cena ever won in WWE, the United States Championship? Theory, at his current EO character right now, definitely reminds me a lot of John Cena when he first came into the business. You can see it. It's all over him. You can see that it is great at getting booed, and he has L of confidence. But I am here to say, I think Bobby Lashley could win the United States Championship here. I think we could get Theory versus Cena one-on-one at SummerSlam without any championships on the line. i love to see Cena actually beat Theory and let Theory kind of climb the ranks and get back to the top and finally give John Cena a victory. Who knows? Maybe if Cena sticks around, maybe this is for the title. Maybe Cena does win the United States Championship for a month and they could kind of hot shot it back to Theory if they wanted to. There's certainly a lot of uh, options you could go with this. I didn't love the pose down. These two did a couple of weeks ago on Raw. I thought the baby oil and all that. thought it was kind of a stupid segment myself. But I'm really looking forward to this match. I think this is a good match for Bobby Lashley to kind of stick out on his own now. That he's a baby face on Raw. And let him have a great match with Theory. And let's see if Lashley can get over. He's been getting a little bit better at his promos as a weight. I've been very critical of his promos in the past. But shout out to Lashley. I think he is getting better. Though at the end of the day here, I think Theory is going to retain the United States Championship. Then we get to the main event of the show. That will include Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Sami Zayn, and Amos. As of this recording, five out of the seven men have been filled for the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. And I got a lot of different people. I think you could win this briefcase. I think my favorite two right now, Sami Zayn from SmackDown, Seth freaking Rollins from Monday Night Raw. We know what everybody's thinking, right? Seth Rollins is going to probably win the Money in the Bank briefcase. We know Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns have a last man standing match, which I think is going to be just a barn burner, a phenomenal main event at SummerSlam in Nissan Stadium. Seth Rollins could cash in during or even after the match. They alluded to last night on SmackDown when the champion is vulnerable. But along those lines, we know the history with Rollins, Reigns, Lesnar. That could very well happen. We also know the history with Sami Zayn trying to get into the bloodline. What happens if Sami Zayn wins the Money in the Bank briefcase? Does he tease and go after Roman Reigns? The other question I have for this is, does one person say, like does Rollins say, I only want the WWE Championship. I think that that is a good way to get the championship off of Roman Reigns to get the WWE title back on Monday Night Raw and have only one universe champion on Friday Night SmackDown. I think that's the way to go. Even though I've enjoyed Raw recently, I think Raw would be better if they had a major championship. Obviously, I think all shows would be better if they had a major championship. But those are my two favorites right now. I think Drew McIntyre and Sheamus will have a hell of a spot. I think they put on some good 
you know, on matches in the past couple of weeks on SmackDown. I love their physical bout a couple of weeks ago, and I'm really interested to see what Amos does in a Money in the Bank ladder match. One or two steps up the ladder, that man could retrieve the briefcase. I don't think he's going to win, but I think he's going to be an impressive imposing force in that match. As for two other superstars that could join, I think right now, what do they got? They got three superstars from SmackDown, two from Raw. We know one more Raw superstar is definitely going to be added. I think that could be either Kevin Owens or Ezekiel, who they've had a lot of great programs with. And I would love a member of the New Day, like, say, Kofi Kingston or even Xavier Woods, who hasn't had a lot of chances at Money in the Bank, be added on the SmackDown side. So you could certainly go with Shinsuke Nakamura or somebody along those lines. AJ Styles also doesn't have a Money in the Bank match yet. You could throw him in. You could throw the Miz in. There are a lot of options they could do to add to this Money in the Bank liner match, potentially expand to seven or eight people. Right now, again, I think my favorite would be Seth Rollins on Raw. Sami Zayn, though, would be number two on SmackDown, and I would love to see it. And there you go for this week's show. Thank you guys so much. Now, next week, we will be back on Monday, the 4th of July. I'm not going to be able to have time to upload it on Sunday. So the podcast will be uploaded on Monday, 4th of July day, sometime during the afternoon. We will celebrate our patriotism while breaking down the money in the bank premium live event next Sunday. I am going to the Guardians game against the New York Yankees. So that should be fun, but I'm not going to have time to record an upload before because, of course, Money in the Bank is Saturday night. So I'll record after I get home from the game, and then we will have the podcast live Monday morning. So that's going to be the schedule. Again, as I said last week, we're going to be here till the end of July. And then in August, we're going to kind of go away and start back up in September with the start of the National Football League season, breaking down all the best bets of the week as well as every single game. My favorite time of the year. I hope you guys are having a great summer, staying cool. Weather's been pretty good here in Cleveland over the last couple of weeks. Make sure you check out all my content on BelieveLandMediaLLC.com as well as all the other links in the description. Enjoy your 4th of July weekend. Enjoy Money in the Bank. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy time with your family. We'll see you guys next week. And peace.